Well, I'm back. Did you miss me? I, I hope you did, but it's been a very, very long week. I've had the first week of school, and it was rather boring just getting started with everything and the first cross-country meet of the season, so I was unable to make an episode last week, and I do apologize for that. And But I did see that the numbers on that episode kept rising, so that is good to see that the support for this podcast is increasing. And I do like that, so I've decided to branch out a little bit to a different nation in World of Warships, and that is the German nation. And we are going to be doing the perhaps weirdest cruiser that they have in the German lineup, and that is the Admiral Graf Spee, which, for many reasons, you'll see is a rather unique cruiser. So stick around to find out why. So the Admiral Graf Spee is a Deutschland-class, well, technically cruiser, or at least that's what the Germans called it, but it's more of a battle cruiser, that was in the German Navy during World War II, and sits at Tier 6 as a German premium cruiser in World of Warships. She was laid down on October 1st, 1932, launched on June 30th, 1934, and commissioned on January 6th, 1936. She had a displacement of 14,890 tons designed, so like theoretically she would have a displacement of 14,890 tons according to the design schematics. And she had a displacement of 16,020 long tons when she was fully loaded. She had a length of 186 meters or 610 feet 3 inches, a beam of 21.65 meters, which is 71 feet, and she had a draft of 7.34 meters or 24 feet 1 inch. The ship could produce 53,260 shaft horsepower with its diesel power plants. It had eight diesel engines to be exact, which was fairly new at the time to have diesel engines in your ship. And she had two shafts, so it's a lot of power going through only two shafts. She had a speed of 28.5 knots, which is kind of... It's okay for a battlecruiser like type ship it doesn't really have a set identity i guess people call it different things but it's 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 not bad she had a range of 16,300 nautical miles at 18.69 knots which is incredibly far for a ship i mean this thing could outsteam anything in the american navy and probably the royal navy at the time which is quite amazing It's probably because that happened to the German Far East Squadron in the First World War. They were caught out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with no supply lines or support and had not enough coal to reach it back to Germany and got caught by the British and sunk. So maybe they're trying to learn from that and prevent that from happening where they can take a long way back to Germany or something to avoid the Royal Navy. Now, she had a complement as built of 33 officers and 586 enlisted men, but after 1935, she had a complement of 30 officers and 921 to 1,040 enlisted men. 
and she was actually one of the first German ships to have radar. She carried an FMG-39G radar, and she was armed with six 283mm 11-inch guns, each in triple turrets, so she only had two turrets. She had eight 15-centimeter or 150-millimeter 5.9-inch single turrets as secondaries, and she had eight 21-inch or 53.3-centimeter torpedo tubes, which were mounted on the stern. There was 140-millimeters or 5.5-inches armor on the turrets, 100-millimeters or 3.9-inches on the belts, and the deck had 45 to 70 millimeters of armor, or 1.8 to 2.8 inches, which is actually a lot of armor for a cruiser. She was very heavily armored for a cruiser. She carried one aircraft, and that was a Heinekel HE-60 floatplane, and that was launched off one catapult. So what were the Germans thinking when they built this ship? It's a rather odd design, and there's nothing that quite looks like the Deutschland-class cruisers. Well, you may think it's very complicated, the reasoning that they had, but it really isn't. They needed something that could, quote, outrun anything that could outgun it, and outgun anything that it couldn't outrun. And this meant that the Germans had to make a few sacrifices in how they designed the ship, because it had to be heavily armored enough to deal with cruisers, and had to have larger guns than cruisers so that it could successfully win a gunfight, but it also had to be fast enough so that it could outrun battleships, which meant that they had to make a ship that was pretty well armored. I mean, it's very, very tough by cruiser standards, but only mediocre by battleship standards, and they also had to put a large armament on, but they had to conserve weight, which meant that they had to reduce the amount of guns that they put on the ship, reducing them to only six, and at that, they were only 11-inch guns, so they were significantly larger than most cruisers, but they were still smaller than pretty much all battleships, except for the Shorenhorst. The result was a ship that was only mediocre in direct ship-to-ship -ship combat, but was deadly in commerce rating, and when its location was not known. It was a very sneaky ship, and caused the Royal Navy great pains to put down. She specialized in surprise encounters, and relied on that for her survival. If she was tracked down, which she eventually was, and engaged in a direct gunfight with, she would most likely lose, but... She used her element of surprise to catch her enemies off guard, quickly dispatch them, and then return to her South Atlantic dwellings. Only to repeat this maneuver again, or at least hopefully. Whether she got to do it again, we will find out. More on that later. But let's get into the history of this ship. So, with the pre-war history, it was mostly just sea trials and being commissioned as the flagship of the German fleet before World War II. However, when the Spanish Civil War broke out, she participated in non-intervention patrols off the Republican-held coast of Spain between August 1936 and May 1937, conducting a total of three patrols off the coast. When she returned from these patrols, she stopped at the Coronation Review at Spithead for King George V, representing Germany, on May 20th, 1937. She then went to Spain for a fourth non-intervention patrol, and then followed that up with a fifth and final non-intervention patrol. 
1938, she basically just conducted a bunch of goodwill visits to different ports, including Tangier and Vigo. And then she also trained with German or other German surface vessels in German waters, and then took part in the celebrations for the reintegration of the port of Memel into Germany from uh, Lithuania. And then was in a fleet review in honor of Admiral Michaelos Horthy. And then she visited some more ports as part of a goodwill visit, namely Lisbon. And on August 21st, 1939, Admiral Graf Spee departed Williamshaven, bound for the South Atlantic. And then World War II broke out. After World War II broke out, Adolf Hitler ordered the German Navy to basically just start conducting commerce raiding on Allied merchant shipping. And this order was actually delayed by Hitler to ensure that there was no path for peace with Britain after the conquest of Poland. And he instructed Admiral Graf Spee to strictly adhere to prize rules. And that just basically says that the raiders have to stop merchant traffic, and then they have to search them for contraband, and they have to safely evacuate their crews before they sink them. And he also ordered the captain of Admiral Grashby to avoid combat at all costs, even with inferior opponents, and to frequently change position and try his hardest not to give away his position, because the Royal Navy was vastly superior to the German Navy, and the German Navy relied on having few ships that were spread out across a large area so that the German ships would be safer from the Royal Navy. And this worked to some extent until the British started to smarten up, or just got lucky and started finding these ships and stopping them from commerce raiding. And this happened on the 11th of September 1939, when the Admiral Grashpe was rendezvousing with her supply ship Altmark, or Altmark, yeah, just southwest of the Canary Islands, when the float plane launched from Admiral Grashpe to keep watch over the nearby sea, spotted the British heavy cruiser HMS Cumberland approaching the two German ships at a decent click. So the captain of the Grashpe ordered both of the vessels to depart at a high speed, and they were successful in evading the British cruiser. But it wasn't until September 26 when things finally started to heat up. Admiral Grashby finally received orders to attack Allied merchant shipping by any means necessary, including that of combat. On September 30th, 1939, Admiral Grashby got lucky and located the cargo ship Clement off of the coast of Brazil. However, the cargo ship did manage to transmit the Romeo, Romeo, Romeo signal, which means I am under attack by a raider before the cruiser managed to get her to stop. And this alerted the British of the ship's presence, which notified all other merchant ships in the area to be on the lookout. However, Clement was still not fortunate, and the crew was taken, or the crew was put into the lifeboats, save the captain and chief engineer, which were held hostage on the Grash Bay. Then the Grashby fired 30 rounds from her, 280mm and 150mm guns, and two torpedoes into the cargo ship, which subsequently broke up and sank. And this 
prompted the captain of the Grashby to order a distress call to be sent to the naval station at Pernambuco to ensure the rescue of the ship's crew, because they're not all heartless, I guess, in war. And the British Admiralty immediately picked up on this and sent more ships into the area. And it was quite clear to the Germans that the British and French were not quite happy about what they were doing in the South Atlantic. They dispatched eight groups to hunt down the Grashby, in fact. Eight groups. The British uh, dispatched the aircraft carriers HMS Hermes, HMS Eagle, and HMS Ark Royal. The French aircraft carrier Bern was dispatched as well, and the British battlecruiser Renown also showed up, along with the French battleships Dunkirk and Strasbourg, along with 16 other cruisers. Force G, which was another force that was entered into this, was commanded by Commodore Henry Harwood and was assigned to the east coast of South America, comprising the cruisers Cumberland and Exeter. Force G also was reinforced by the light cruisers Ajax, Achilles, and Hardward later detached Cumberland to patrol the area off the Falkland Islands by itself, while the three other cruisers patrolled off River Plate. Meanwhile, there was more activity in the South Atlantic. On that same day that the British and French formed their groups to hunt down the Admiral Grafschby, the Admiral Grashby proceeded to capture the steamer Newton Beach. Two days later, she encountered and sank another ship named Ashila. And later, on October 8th, she sank Newton Beach, and that was because it was too slow to keep up with Admiral Grashby. Newton Beach had just been there to hold prisoners, but it was of no more use and was slowing down the Commerce Raider, so she decided to keep or the captain decided to keep the prisoners on Graf Spee and sink the slow merchant ship. On October 10th, she captured the steamer Huntsman, and the captain of which had not to send a distress signal until the last possible minute because he had mistakenly identified Admiral Graf Spee as a friendly French warship. However, that was not true, obviously. And she couldn't accommodate, or Admiral Grashby could not accommodate all the prisoners from Huntsman. So she sent the Huntsman to rendezvous with the Altmark. And Admiral Grashby rendezvoused with Altmark before the Huntsman got there to refuel and transfer the prisoners that were already on the ship. And the following morning, Huntsman showed up. The tr- prisoners aboard the Huntsman were transferred to the Altmark. And then the Admiral Grashby sank the Huntsman. After this, it was more commerce raiding before the Grashby headed into the Indian Ocean to confuse the British and French navies. And while she was in the Indian Ocean, she rendezvoused with the Altmark once again, and this time erected a dummy turret on the bridge and a dummy funnel to confuse Allied shipping as to her true identity by altering the silhouette of the ship. And after that, it was more commerce rating for Admiral Goshby until the ship's Aredo-196 broke down, and that was the reconnaissance plane that they were using at the time. This obviously deprived her of aerial reconnaissance, and the ship's disguise was subsequently removed as to not hinder the ship's performance in battle should one appear. But then, on the morning of December 13th, 1939, lookouts spotted the pair of masts of the ship's starboard bow. 
This was initially thought to be a convoy, or a convoy escort for a convoy that was discovered in secret documents recovered from one of Admiral Grashby's prize ships. However, it was actually identified as the Royal Navy heavy cruiser HMS Exeter, and she was accompanied by other ships. And they were thought to be destroyers, but they were also quickly identified as Leander-class light cruisers, so it was a three-on-one battle, and while Admiral Graf Spee was initially meant to take out cruisers, she was not meant to take out three of them at the same time, and remember, she only had six guns and two turrets, and she did have her secondary guns, but they weren't as powerful or as accurate as her main battery guns. So the captain of the Graf Spee, I should mention his name is Langsdorf, I think that's how you pronounce it, he decided to finally not flee from the British ships and to stand and fight, and he ordered his men to battle stations and closed at maximum speed. And at 0608, the British spotted Admiral Graspi in return, which is a significant deficit of time. The Germans had already known of the British presence for 38 minutes at that time, and this gave the Graspi an edge over the British, or at least initially. And Hardwood, or Harwood, which is the British captain or admiral, divided his ships to split the gunfire of Admiral Grashby because he knew that they didn't have many guns, but they were fairly large for a cruiser. So the German ship opened fire on her main battery at Exeter, which is the heavy cruiser, and this was at 0617, which did not give the British much time to prepare. Remember, the British had only sighted Grash Bay at 0608, and this was only nine minutes later. So at 0620, the Exeter finally returned to fire, and this was followed by Ajax at 0621 and Achilles at 0624. And in the span of 30 minutes, Admiral Goshby had hit Exeter only three times, but this had disabled her forward two gun turrets, destroyed her bridge, and also destroyed her aircraft catapult and started major fires aboard the ship. Ajax and Achilles moved closer to Admiral Goshby to, to relieve pressure on the Exeter. Langsdorf thought the two light cruisers were making torpedo attack because the uh, Leander-class cruisers do have eight torpedoes, four on each side, which can be very dangerous to a large ship like Grash B. And he thus laid a smokescreen and turned away to disengage. But this also worked two ways. The disengagement of the Grash B, since it was the only German ship, also allowed the Exeter to disengage. And this was good for the Exeter because only one of her gun turrets was still in action. And Exeter was a county-class heavy cruiser of the Royal Navy, and this meant that each of her turrets only contained two guns, and she had a total of eight. Only two of them were working at this time, so that was a huge blow to her damage output, and thus she retreated from the action momentarily and suffered 61 dead and 23 wounded crew members from the German ship. At around 0700, Exeter returned to the engagement, firing from her one stern turret. Admiral Grafschby fired on her again and scored more hits, and forced Exeter to finally withdraw again, and she was by then listing the port. At 0725, Admiral Grafschby scored a hit on Ajax, excuse me, Ajax, and this disabled her rear turrets. And both sides broke off of the action, 
Admiral Grashby retreating into the River Plate estuary, while Hardwood's battered cruisers remained outside to observe any possible breakout attempts made by the German cruiser. Over the course of the engagement, the Admiral Grashby had been hit approximately 70 times, and this resulted in 36 of her crew being killed and 60 wounded, including the captain, who had been wounded twice by splinters while standing on top of the bridge, which was open-topped. The Admiral Grafspe made it to Monte de Veo, where repairs could be made and the wounded and dead could be taken off of the ship. The damage was finally assessed in the harbor, and it was concluded that most of the hits scored by the British had only done minor structural and superficial damage to the ship, but the oil purification plant and the desalination plant were destroyed along with the galley, and this would have made it difficult, if not impossible, to make it all the way back to Germany. The oil purification plant was required to operate the diesel engines on the ship. Remember, the Admiral Graf Spee had diesel engines and not oil-powered or fuel-oil-powered boilers, which meant that she had to have more specialized machinery carried aboard and would have extended the repair time. Also, her desalination plant is used to make potable water for the crew, which meant it would have been very difficult to carry enough water for the crew to go back to Germany. The galley was also destroyed, but that's only a minor complication as food could be made elsewhere on the ship. However, all the repairs would have taken more than 72 hours, and why is 72 hours such a magic number? Well, 72 hours is a magic number because that's the maximum amount of time that the Admiral Grashby could spend in a neutral port without getting interned for the remainder of the war. Which meant that Germany couldn't use their new toy, and that upset them greatly. It also didn't help that British naval intelligence had sent fake messages along frequencies that were known to be intercepted by the Germans, declaring that they had a large force just outside the harbor that was ready to crush and destroy the Admiral Grafspe should she come out. And this was actually false because the closest heavy units, which was the carrier HMS Ark Royal and the battle cruiser HMS Renown, were some 2,500 nautical miles away. It's around 4,600 kilometers. And that's way too far to intervene with the situation going on the Grush B. So all they would have to deal with is the battered cruisers that are still sitting outside the harbor. However, the captain of the Grashby was convinced that this was true, and he was also running low on ammunition, so he did not have the tools necessary to defeat even really a small force of capable warships. And their only option that they could realistically make would be to go to Buenos Aires, which the Argentine government would just likely intern the ship for the rest of the war, and that would be okay because the Argentine government is completely neutral and would not allow British officers onto the ship. However, in their current port of Montevideo, they could potentially allow the British to come onto the ship and kind of look over its technology and copy it and potentially come up with counters for it, which is something that the Germans could not afford to happen. So what the captain decided to do to make sure that his crew stayed safe and that the ship did not fall into British hands by any way is he decided to scuttle it. And scuttling is when a ship's own crew destroys it to 
basically just keep it from all falling into the hands of the enemy forces. So what they did is they took it or took a skeleton crew just out to the edge of the harbor and distributed the ammunition along the ship so that a nice even explosion would happen and they lit the fuse, jumped off the ship onto tug, got away as fast as they could, and the ship blew up and sank in just 36 feet of water, which meant that most of the ship was still sticking out of the water. And the British actually purchased the salvage rights from the German government through a fake cover company of an engineering corporation, uh, Montevideo Engineering Corporation, and it was purchased for 14,000 pounds. The British broke up the ship and expected to find a radar rangefinder, which they did. It was actually quite new for the time and advanced, and the British reverse-engineered it and came up with counters for it and kind of came up with their own version of it, which is exactly what the Germans didn't want to happen, but I guess the Germans didn't know that they were being tricked. And in 2004, the wreck was further broken up by a different salvage team, which actually recovered some rangefinders, or some more rangefinders, and the crest of the Admiral Graf Spee. But that is the end of the Admiral Graf Spee, and it did not have a very long career, as you can see. It was only just a few years. In fact, she only had a career that spanned seven years, which is quite a shame because she was a very advanced and new ship of the time. She was the first German ship ever to have radar and have radar rangefinders, which means she could fire straight through smoke. She also had only six guns, but arranged in a very unique arrangement, and with larger guns than most cruisers and better armor than most cruisers, which meant she was tough to take down. And if the Germans didn't sink her themselves, I'm sure the British would have had a very, very difficult time sinking her because of the fact that she had such a tough armor layout and scheme. And the only weakness she seemed to have was the fact that there was no support for her. The German Navy was not very large and could not provide escorting ships, so she was all on her own. There's also the fact that she's not a very fast ship, topping out at 28.5 knots, which is not very fast for a cruiser. And I hope you've enjoyed the naval history section on the Admiral Graf Spee episode of Rank Amateur. Here's a quick message from our sponsor before we move on to the World of Warships section of this episode. Welcome back to Rank Amateur. This is the World of Warships section of Admiral Graf Spee's featured episode. So, without further ado, let's dive right into the specs of Admiral Graf Spee. She has... 39,400 hit points, which is quite a lot for a tier 6 cruiser, which means that she can take quite a beating before she ends up sinking. Now, her main battery is quite unusual. She has 283mm guns, which are very large for a tier 6 cruiser, but she only has 6 of them in only 2 turrets, which means if you manage to lose one of the turrets, that's half your firepower. Each turret obviously has 3 guns. The reload time is also very long which is not very good for a cruiser, but the guns are very powerful. So she has a reload time of 20 seconds. She has a 180 degree turn time on her turrets of 25 seconds, which is only mediocre. The firing range of her guns is 16.01 kilometers, which is very good for a tier six cruiser. Remember, 
Cruisers like Perth only have a 12km range, so she will be able to outgun smaller light cruisers by around 4km usually. And there are some cruisers that will that she will face that will have similar ranges, if not exceeding that, but this will definitely be good enough to hold her own. The HE shell does a maximum of 3200 damage, which is very underwhelming. Chance of fire on target is 20%, which is very good, but remember she only fires 6 shells every 20 seconds. So that means she's only going to be able to fire 18 rounds a minute. So you really aren't going to be wasting your time with HE shells if you're only going to do 3200 damage with them. The initial HE shell velocity is 910 meters a second, which is very, very good. Which means you won't have to lead your target that much because the shells will get there very quickly and they will be very accurate. The maximum H or AP shell damage is 8400 damage, which is quite respectable for a cruiser. The initial AP shell velocity is 910 meters a second as well, identical to the HE shell velocity, which means that these shells are going to have a very low arc, and that means they will not be able to fire over islands very well, or at least in the same way that US cruisers are, but it will be very, very good at hitting targets at long range, something that German cruisers generally excel at. And for targets that come in close, the secondaries of the ship are nothing to scoff at. Yes, they're not going to rival anything of a higher tiers of German ships, but they will certainly be able to hold their own down at tier 6, and are still very impressive for a tier 6 cruiser. The first type of secondary armament that she has is 150mm cannons. There's 8 of them, and they're each in their own turret. Firing range is 4 kilometers. The rate of fire is 8 shots a minute, which accounts for a reload time of 8 points five seconds the he shell can do 1700 damage and the initial he shell velocity is 875 meters a second which is fairly decent and the chance of fire on target caused by the he shell is eight percent which is not bad if you spec that out for secondary builds that will start to cause some damage to destroyers that venture too close the second type of secondary armament that she carries is 105mm guns, and there are three turrets of two guns each on the ship, with the same firing range as the previous one, so 4 kilometers. Reload time is 3.35 seconds, so yes, these will shoot out a lot. The HE shell damage is 1200, which is respectable. The initial HE shell velocity is 900 meters a second, and the chance of fire on target caused by the HE shell is 5%. So yes, these will be the ones that will be starting fires. And they also have German quarter caliber penetration, which means they will have fairly good penetration and really good penetration for a tier 6 cruiser's secondaries. Now the torpedoes are kind of... they're, they're good. They're more of a last-ditch effort. I mean, they're nothing to scoff at as well. There are 533mm Verling torpedoes. There's two t torpedo tubes of four torpedoes each, so two quadruple tubes. The reload time on these torpedoes is a little long at 90 seconds. The rotation speed is pretty typical at 7.2 second, 180 degree turn time. 
the maximum damage is only 13,000, so that's a little bit on the low side. It's not really that bad, though. Torpedo speed is pretty good at 65 knots, and the range is pretty good as well at 8.01 kilometers. Now, these torpedoes are positioned fairly interestingly, and that's because they are on the fantail of the ship. And you say, Jaden, what's the fantail? Well, the fantail is like the sternmost section of the ship, like the deck just before the ship ends, and that's where these torpedo tubes are situated. And they're very well armored, which is good, but if a player shoots for them, they will be easily incapacitated. So if they're concerned about you firing torpedoes, all they have to do is fire at the stern of your ship and they have a good chance of knocking out your torpedo armament. But that's also good because if destroyers are spamming your superstructure with high explosives, it's very, very unlikely that they will miss by a large enough margin to hit your torpedo tubes and disable them. So I guess there are advantages and disadvantages to having your torpedo tubes in that position. But as far as torpedo arcs, they are very, very good. You can fire close to straight ahead with your torpedoes, which means they're good for firing preemptively into cap circles in ho hopes of flushing some destroyers out, or into smoke screens for that matter, to flush the... What it, well, actually, I shouldn't say just destroyer anymore. There's cruisers that have smoke screens now. So whatever's in the smoke screen is either going to get hit by those torpedoes or flushed out by them, where your secondaries can give them a good working over before your main battery reloads and you can give them the good news of German 100 or 283 millimeter armor-piercing shells. She has many AA guns as well, but I'm not going to go over exactly what they are. I'll just tell you that they are fairly good. It's not going to really save you from any higher tier aircraft carriers, but it will hold its own against tier six carriers, and if you happen to run across one, it will definitely murder the planes of tier four carriers. So, on to maneuverability. The maximum speed of the ship is, as it was in history, a 28.5 knot speed cap without running a speed flag. The turning circle radius is 680 meters, which is... it's, it's mediocre. It's not, like, super bad, not super good. Its rudder shift time is 10.3 seconds, which is abysmal. It is very sluggish in the turns, and that's what makes her sort of like a battleship. So the compromise for having all this armor and guns is the fact that you will not be very maneuverable like most other cruisers. It straddles the line between battleship and cruiser while still being more maneuverable than pretty much every other battleship there is. It is still not going to be as maneuverable as a normal cruiser. The concealment is, it's decent. It's actually fairly good. Its surface detectability range is 13.14 kilometers, which is not that bad for a cruiser of its size. The air detectability range is 6.79 kilometers, which is just kind of normal for a cruiser of its size as well. So you're not really gonna be sneaking up on anything, but you're also not gonna be getting spotted from the other side of the map in most circumstances. So, on to the pros and cons of the ship. So, pros of the ship is she has the largest health pool out of all Tier 6 cruisers, which is in compensation to some of her more serious cons, but that is very, very useful when you can get into some tight situations, hopefully get you just that little bit more of a chance to get out of a bad situation. She has the largest guns of any Tier 6 cruiser and high AP penetration and damage, which can make battleships have sweats and bad dreams. 
And for the size of her guns, the turrets traverse extremely quick. It makes the Shornhorst look like it's slacking off. She has very good torpedoes with a good range, and they also have very, very wide firing arcs, as I've mentioned before. What's interesting about the range of these torpedoes, it's 8 kilometers, which is fairly standard for most torpedoes. However, German cruisers and battleships traditionally have a 6 kilometer torpedo range, and Graf Spees is 8. And you veteran World of Warships players will know what that means. Players will get in closer than 8 kilometers, but stay outside of 6 kilometers, thinking that they're safe from your torpedoes. However, you have that 2 kilometer range buff over other cruisers, which means you can surprise them with a salvo of 4 or 8 torpedoes if you're brave enough. And that can easily sink most ships at your tier, with the exception of some battleships. Most of her armor is centered in her torpedo bulges in World of Warships, which means she has very good torpedo protection for a cruiser of tier 6, and that means that she's going to reduce the damage she takes from torpedoes significantly. Now we're not going to want to go out and catch a whole salvo of eagle torpedoes, because that will still probably sink you, depending if there is more than one flood or any flood started. But it will essentially offer you that just little bit of a buffer that if you make a mistake it might act as a safety net to catch you or actually will act as a safety net to maybe catch some mistakes. She has a decent AA as I've said which will afford her some protection. It's not going to make her invincible to anything but is certainly going to be a very good protection. She has very interesting consumable layouts and that's the fact that she can access repair party at tier 6. And Repair Party essentially recovers some health that you have. It's not a very good heal, nothing like you'd see on Tier 8 and 9, or 9 and 10 cruisers, but it is very, very useful because this ship will take a lot of damage. She also has access to defensive AA, but that takes the place of the German Hydroacoustic Surge consumable, which I highly recommend mounting instead of defensive AA. Because what defensive AA does is it just boosts the output of your AA guns for a short period of time to get rid of a strike squadron. Most good aircraft carrier captains will simply send a squadron that they don't value too much towards you to try and bait out your defensive anti-aircraft consumable, and this is very frustrating because then they'll just come back two minutes later with a fresh squadron of whatever they actually want to attack you with, and they'll attack you with very little resistance. So I just dropped that for Hydroacoustic Search. And German Hydroacoustic Search has a 6km ship acquisition range, and it lasts darn near forever. So that's just like essentially a radar that has a 6km range that lasts for over, I think, I think it's like around two minutes. And... That is very, very powerful when you're charging smoke screens or trying to spot things around islands, and that can definitely save your butt a lot, so I recommend mounting that. So, what are the cons of the ship? Well, the obvious con is she doesn't have very many guns in her main armament. They're big guns, but there's not very many. So she has poor damage per minute. And you people who might be new to World of Warships are thinking, well, Jaden, you said that they're big guns. They should have good damage per minute, or they should be able to deal a lot of damage. I'm like, yes. Yes, they are capable of doing something that's called having a large alpha strike. And an alpha strike is like, how much damage can you do in one single salvo? And a salvo is like firing your guns once. So this cruiser that has a large gun caliber, which means that in a single salvo it's capable of dishing out more damage than any other cruiser that's tier. But... 
its reload time is so slow, it can't repeatedly do that. So the trick to playing light cruisers is the fact that you hit them so many times that the damage from your relatively small gun starts to add up. However, that's not really going to happen in the Graf Spee. You mostly rely on hitting broadside targets, dealing so much damage that they can't recover from, or you just sink them outright and silence their guns. So you can see why this is a blessing and a curse at the same time, because if there's a low health ship, you can easily take them, or actually a half health cruiser sometimes, you can t easily take them out. But if you fail to get them all the way down to zero health and sink them, it's often that they will have a chance to strike back, possibly sinking you, or the kill will be stolen by another teammate, which can be very frustrating. I'm sure battleship captains who are listening will know what I'm talking about. Graspe has bad main battery firing arcs, and what does that mean? Well, that's how far your guns can fire. So, like, they can fire from 10 degrees to 250 degrees or something. They have, like, an arc of... 180 degrees, for example, that they can fire without being obstructed by the ship's superstructure or some other obstacle. And ships with better arcs will be able to get more guns on target without exposing the broadside of their ship to enemy fire. Grashby cannot really do this. It's better when kiting, and kiting's kind of like when you're angling, or it's hard to explain in the podcast, but it's when you're angling away from a target and you're traveling away from your target, and you kind of turn just a little bit to get your front turret firing. So you're increasing the distance, or at least hopefully increasing the distance between you and your target, because they may be like more powerful than you or something. So you can f still fire on them while you're trying to make yourself as invulnerable as possible to enemy fire. And if you're angling in towards your targets, you're only probably going to get like the front turret firing. If you're lucky and you get a good angle, you might be able to get the rear turret firing, but that can be very frustrating because you only get three guns and that's only, what is it, 24,000 maximum damage or around 24,000 damage that you can do, assuming all three t hit the target and penetrate to a citadel hit. This rolls straight into my next con, which is very poor reload speed for a cruiser. And yeah, that's self-explanatory. Reload speed is 20 seconds. Most cruisers have a reload speed of at least 15 seconds or less. Most in this tier are sitting around the 10 second mark. So you're firing basically half as quickly as they are. So they'll get two salvos out before you get one. And that can be very frustrating and very bad if they set so many fires that you have to use your damage control and then they set more fires, you could be in trouble very quickly because you can't deal with the threat as quickly because your main battery reloads very slow. Another con is the underwhelming HE performance, and that's just self-explanatory. You should really never load the HE on this ship. Unless you're dealing with low health destroyers, you really should never load the HE. You're going to do more damage with the armor piercing in almost every single situation, unless an overpenetration is guaranteed. She is the slowest tier 6 cruiser, but that's just because she's more like a battleship. So I don't really see that as a con, that's just more of a product of having larger guns and a larger health pool, or just the larger ship in general, is you're going to be slower. I, it's not super terrible. It's still got a top speed of 28.5 knots. 
and you can increase that to 30 knots or 29.9 knots with the speed flag. I'll get into that in a few seconds. Another thing is she has the worst accuracy of all tier 6 cruisers. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Jaden, you just said that the accuracy of this ship's guns is pinpoint accurate. Well, yes, I did say it was pinpoint accurate. But, but, that is for a German battleship. I'm kind of considering this a pocket battleship, like the British did. For a German battleship, it's very, very accurate. For a cruiser, it is not very accurate. And that's very, very punishing to a ship like the Graf Spee, because she only has six guns. And that's a little historically inaccurate because her guns were actually very, very accurate in real life. And that's a little disappointing that Wargaming couldn't model that, the fact that she was very accurate in her gunnery in real life. But I guess if that's the only thing that they did wrong with this ship, I don't mind. She also has the fact that fires and floods last longer on her compared to standard cruisers. Now, they don't last as long as battleships, and... That's because she's not actually a battleship, but she's not actually a cruiser. So she kind of straddles the line in that sense. And I agree with Wargaming of putting the fires right in between the two. I think I think fires last around 30 seconds here. Because normally on cruisers, they last like 20 seconds. And on battleships, they last like around 40 seconds. So I think it's around 30 seconds that they last without damage controlling them. And damage controlling them allows you to instantly extinguish and prevent any flooding that's occurred on your ship. So floods can be a little dangerous to the ship when you get them, and fires can also be a little dangerous to the ship when you get them, because it doesn't have as much health as a battleship, but it still is taking damage similar to a battleship would. So what upgrades are we going to put on this ship? Well, I'm just going to follow the recommended upgrades from the World of Warships Wikipedia page, which can be found by Googling WoW's wiki. It'll be the first uh, thing to pop up in Google, and then going finding German ships, scrolling down to German cruisers, and then picking the Admiral Graf Spee. And that's just Main Armaments Modification 1, which is pretty typical, but this it is essential for this ship. And I'm saying this because... The main batteries will not get incapacitated a lot, but if they do, that's half your firepower that's gone. So, by equipping this upgrade, you're reducing that chance even further, which means that you're going to be able to keep firing with that half your firepower that could potentially be damaged and put out of action for a period of time, which could be very decimating to your performance in a battle. And in slot 2, I'm going to do damage control system modification 1, which is a little unique for a cruiser. Usually you don't equip that, but since the fires do last longer on this ship and the floods do last longer on this ship, you're going to want to prevent them because you want to protect that health pool as much as you can. So that's why I'm equipping that upgrade. In slot 3, actually, no, we'll come back to slot 3, because I have more to talk about with that one. In slot 4, we're going to be doing steering gears modification 1, and that's going to improve the handling characteristics of your steering gears and make it more maneuverable for you. So your ship will be able to avoid torpedo salvos more, or just anything more. 
And that brings us back to slot 3. Now, slot 3 has a few different upgrades, and this really depends on what you want to play your ship as, and it's really not going to affect it too much. The ship really is going to play similarly whether you upgrade it with secondary battery modification 1, aiming systems modification 1, or AA guns modification 1. And I personally would go with the aiming systems because the ship is so inaccurate, or at least inaccurate for a cruiser. It's not super inaccurate for German standards, but it is inaccurate for a cruiser. This would not be as much of a problem if you're in a ship such as USS Helena with its 15 6-inch guns. It has a multitude of guns, and even if they're inaccurate, it's firing so many of them that the, eventually they should hit the target. But you're only firing 6 guns, so you need to have that dispersion be knocked down by the upgrade so you have more of a probability of hitting the target. Now, you could go with secondary battery modification 1. And that's because this ship has such effective secondary batteries for a cruiser that it could be coupled with its hydroacoustic surge consumable to be used to charge smoke screens and cruisers that are hiding behind islands as well as other destroyers. And this allows you to avoid torpedoes that they may be firing at you and to see them before they can see you, which can gain an advantage. And with those secondary batteries, they'll be in range so that they can give your target, which is hopefully a light cruiser destroyer or maybe, maybe a heavy cruiser, a good working over so that they'll reduce their health to a point where you, a single salvo or maybe two salvos from your guns will be able to take them out. And that leaves us with the third modification you could put in slot 3, and that's AA Guns Modification 1. This is my least recommended one, because while Secondary Modification 1 is one that's a little risky because the ship doesn't have very much armor. It has a lot of health, but it doesn't have much armor, of at least above this water surface. It, it means that you kind of have to have, uh, you have to take your brave pills before you upgrade that way and use your ship in that manner. However, AA guns is kind of, I mean, I don't want to say useless, but since aircraft carriers have been reconfigured, it's been very, very hard to shoot down mass amounts of aircraft and prevent a strike. So investing your points in AA guns when AA guns don't really do that much in the means of protecting you especially with a ship that only has decent AA, not amazing AA, I really wouldn't upgrade it. I mean, you could and go after the carrier every game, I guess, but then again, this ship isn't very fast, so it's not going to catch many carriers. But I really I really don't see a reason why you would upgrade the AA guns. You could, and that will increase your aircraft anti-aircraft bubble and then maybe discourage CVs from attacking you, and maybe they'll attack another target. So I do see a use for it, but it's just not going to be the use that I'm going to need. I'd rather go with the aiming systems modification 1 so I can hit my targets more reliably at longer ranges. On to recommended commander skills. So what are my recommended commander skills for this ship? I don't really have any. It really depends on how you want to lay them out. I just go with the typical cruiser recommended skills, and that's going to be priority target. Uh, expert marksman you could use. You could use Adrenaline Rush. Actually, Adrenaline Rush I would go with first in the second slot. 
I would definitely go with Superintendent just to give you an extra charge of that hydroacoustic search and that heal, which will really, really help you in tough and sticky situations. I would definitely go with Concealment Experts, and that's going to allow you to, well, stay concealed for longer because it upgrades your concealment, and that can help you get away from enemy battleships if the situation just gets too hot for you to handle. Ones that would be useful would be Expert Marksman to get that really good turret traverse down even further. You could also use Survivability Experts, which gives you 350 extra ship HP points for each ship tier, and so you get an extra 2,100 hit points, which is like a few over penetrations from a battleship, so it may be useful sometimes, maybe not. I would definitely go with a radio position finding skill, and that could help you with your hydroacoustic search and kind of knowing if someone's nearby, because if there's a ship that's very close to you that's outside hydroacoustic search range that you can see, but the RPF is not pointing towards that ship as being the nearest ship, you could then use your hydroacoustic search and knowing that there's a ship you're going to spot to be able to look for like a hidden enemy destroyer or something. I mean, it could be useful, but that's fairly situational. Um, it really just depends what you're trying to lay out your ship for. I, I don't have any particular skills that I would recommend as a must for this ship. There's some good ones, some good choices, but there's really not any musts. So signal flags for this ship. Now you could do quite a few signal flags, however I recommend that you go with a speed flag, so Sierra Mike, and that is going to buff your speed by 5%, and that's very useful because this ship is rather slow, and you get a 30 knot speed out of it, or almost 30 knot speed, so 29.9 knot speed when you run that speed flag. Another flag worth considering is a Mike Yankee Sostix, which is going to buff everything about your secondary batteries, and I'd only recommend flying that if you're looking for a secondary battery build. One I do recommend flying, along with a speed flag as kind of like your typical uh, setup for before you go into a battle, would be India Delta. And India Delta is going to buff the amount of health that you're going to be able to recover from your repair party by 20%, which is very useful for a ship that takes a lot of damage. I I could recommend flying November Foxtrot, which is going to improve the cooldown times in your various consumables, but I really recommend flying that for every ship. I think every... You, Every time you take a ship in the battle, you should fly November Foxtrot just to make sure your consumables have less of a cooldown time. And you could fly India Yankee. Actually, I would recommend flying India Yankee, and that's going to reduce the fire duration. I also recommend flying Juliet Yankee Bisto or Bis Bisto two or yeah Bisto two, and that's going to reduce the flooding duration. You could fly both of those, but I generally go by just saying, okay, I'm going to have one fire and that's just going to burn out. But if I have two fires or one flood, I'm going to immediately use my damage control because that's, that's too much damage for me to take at once. But you could fly those two flags if you're really, really reluctant to use your damage control consumable. Now, what tips can I give for playing this ship? Well, it's kind of a tricky ship to play. It's got what's called a high skill cap, and that essentially means that there's 
it requires a higher level of play. And so it's not for beginners in this game. I would not recommend it to anybody who's just starting World of Warships. But if you've been playing the game for a little while now, and you've gotten the hang of the controls, this is a very powerful ship. I would definitely try to stay away from battleships as much as possible, because you really can't take too many salvos from them. Your armor is not thick enough on the surface to stop their shells from penetrating, so you will take a lot of damage from them. But cruisers are an entirely different story. This is the ultimate bane of cruisers' existence. It was designed to hunt and kill them very effectively, and it was also designed to repel attack by destroyers. So if you see any destroyers or cruisers, definitely go after them, especially if they're alone. However, I would definitely not contest caps in the ship. So what I don't want to do in the ship is contest caps. I don't want to go after battleships, and I don't really want to go too much on my own. What I want to do is I want to support my cruisers from medium range, and I want to support my destroyers from medium range, because if the destroyers are spotted, they're most likely going to be engaged by cruisers. And if they're engaged by cruisers, those cruisers will pop up on the map, and you will be able to fire at them if you're in range. So stay in range of them and wait for them to fire on your destroyers. That way you can give them a little surprise to let them know that your destroyer at teammates is not alone. That is how I would play it. Stick with your cruisers, but kind of trail at a distance. So they'll, they'll be detected by the enemy before you will. The enemy will fire on them and you will be able to fire back on the enemy because the enemy has fired and their detection range is increased to their maximum fire range. And hopefully within you're within that range, or actually your teammate will be within that range, and you will be able to see them. Then you fire on them and hopefully take out a large portion of their health, and that encourages them, or rather discourages them from continuing the engagement, and they either break off or you have completely uh, sunk them, and any other ships that are near them are turning off into a kiting position from which you and your other cruisers can pursue them and sink them. That is the ideal situation. You don't want to go off on your own and engage a bunch of battleships or get swarmed by cruisers or destroyers because you only have six guns that have a 20 second reload. And that is going to be very bad for you because you will get swarmed easily, take so much damage, and sink. So, the gist of the ship. Away from battleships, don't go alone, stick with your cruisers, and kind of hang out in medium range. I hope you enjoy this episode of Rank Amateur. I know it was a little late, but I'm going to hopefully stick to a schedule of uploading like every two weeks or maybe once in a month, but I really can't guarantee that. I'm going to shoot for every two weeks, so expect an episode by like the last week of September or so. Please be sure to subscribe and visit my merchandise site, which is linked in the description of this video for some sweet merchandise, and visit my websites. You can also donate anything from uh, $1 to $9 a month to support my podcast, and you can do that by heading to anchor.fm slash rank amateur. And please be sure to tell your friends about this podcast. The more listeners I can get, the better. And I will catch you next time, Captains.